0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Um, I think the
1: eventual target you want to hit is at least uh, two hours in the morning of of like most important maker important work mm-hmm. um and then another two hours in the afternoon that's only four hours any everybody i know that does four hours on like whatever's most important every single day is very successful mm-hmm. and you replay weekly and sometimes you're wrong and you go down a rabbit hole and doesn't work or whatever and that's that's fine it's part sure. of the game but you know if as long as you do 10 minutes you've got a placeholder in your life and things right. keep moving forward and you keep looking at it. it's when you take two weeks off suddenly things are getting dusty. You're going to have to reorient to the problem space. You don't remember what you're going to do. If you reached out to some people, hey, you kind of sort of interested in this, and you take two weeks to reply to them. They're not interested anymore. You know, you do 10 minutes. Okay, what's most important? Man, I really should reply to that guy in this space. I wrote to him. He's very gracious to write back. I should reply. It's been two days, uh-huh. right? Uh, you put in your 10 minutes. I really think, I, I, I actually don't think it's possible for a person, um, you know, in a modern, you know, Western country that's like doing reasonably okay right like to put in 10 minutes a day on what's most important and repick what's most important and stick with that not like working hard but like most important uh, that will grow like if you just reliably do 10 minutes you'll you'll do more than 10 minutes really quickly and once you get up to a couple hours or more
0: uh-huh. like
1: you do that you're going to be pretty successful you're going to at least be more successful every single year than the year you were before if you're picking at all correctly what's most important which you can learn and improve at that too uh, and then putting the time in. And and people just get busy and don't do what's important, and then they just don't get what they want.
0: I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at UnmistakableCreative.com.
2: Only from Rustolium.
3: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com.
4: Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection.
1: Once more into the breach, dear friends, we're back. We're doing it. It's exciting.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, what prompted this conversation is the fact that, you know, we had you as a guest when we were called Blogcast FM, and somehow the conversation that I had with you kept resurfacing uh, on Twitter over the years. So I thought, you know, it it only made sense to bring you back for a second round and subject you to my crazy questions. So on that note, um, I want to start by asking you, what did you want to be when you grew up when you were a little kid, and how did that end up impacting the choices that you've made with your life and your career?
1: Yeah, I want to be a scientist, actually. Um, and I always just thought science was was really, really cool. Um, and, you know, you started to learn actually what science is. You know, when you're a, a little kid, you think, I don't know, like you, I, I watched Looney Tunes with Bugs Bunny and like the idea of science and they're like mixing stuff in test tubes. And it's very theatrical, right? But I always thought that was super cool. I always thought NASA was super cool. And, uh, you know, similar to you, and I remember you saying in one of your shows that, Uh, you said something along the lines of like, I'm a failed byproduct of the education systems. Like there wasn't anything for me to do. So I went and did entrepreneurship. No, I I really feel the same way.
0: Uh
1: I really feel the same way because, you know, I looked at, uh, both science and I looked at law. Um, and you know, both of them, you, you just really needed to do, Uh, you know, with law, you're talking seven years before you're getting a JD, uh, uh, and then can start to do associate work. And then you're doing interesting stuff in law in like, what, 12 years, 15 years, right? Yeah. Um, typically, or at least that's, that's, that's what it was like when I, when I was coming up, maybe it's, maybe it's a little better now. Um, and, and same with science where it was like the amount of time you would spend, you know, when I actually just really looked into it, the amount of time you would spend, um, you know, especially if you go to graduate school and you're like, you know, being a research assistant and TA in classes, like you can't just like jump in and do science. And then we have the internet where you could just do whatever you want. And, you know, you could, you know, everything's changing so fast that I'm like, this is cool. I want to do stuff. And I was, yeah, you call me, uh, you know, you can put me in a failed byproduct of the education system club. Um, if we have one of those, um, because, you know, I was just like, ah, I just, I can't wait around. I can't, I can't, I'm not into this. I want to go out and do some stuff and, and build some stuff and make some stuff happen. But I, I think I did bring that that scientist love of the world and wanting to understand the world. And like Richard Feynman is still like a huge, huge, huge hero of mine. And and you know you you learn about how people like you know Einstein went about, and he's looking at the clocks, and and, and that kind of thing is 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 really still really neat to me and really moves me. And I do try to bring that like love of truth and experimentation and taking notes and kind of figuring out how the gears and the clocks move. That's still a big part of. You know, what I try to do really every single week.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, we'll get into into detail about all of that. Um, I'm curious, I'd like to hear a bit more detail about your actual formal education, just because I'm curious, kind of, you know, um, why you also felt that you're a failed byproduct of that system. And then the other question is um, I I think often, you know, you mentioned the fact that there's, you know, 12 years to doing anything interesting in law, all these years before you get to do anything interesting as a scientist. And I I was just writing about this this morning um, because I'm reading this book uh, again called Not Fade Away uh, by guy named Peter Barton, and he talks about living life in a straight line or versus living fully. And often those two things are, you know, not necessarily mutually exclusive, but one can get in the way of the other. And I'm curious what you think it is that causes certain people to be so hell bent on following, you know, the sort of straight line path versus those who actually can endure the uncertainty of, um, you know, a path that isn't necessarily laid out uh, in front of them.
1: Well, that's great. Let's, let's jump on the last and Let's have a little dialogue on this. Sure. I, I really want to hear what, you. What would you want to be when you're growing up?
0: Boy, um, so many different things that continually changed. So um, when I was four or five, uh, we were in India at one point and I was staying at one of my mom's uncle's houses and there was a airport out in front where they trained pilots. And mm. uh, to this day, I still think watching an airplane take off, especially a 747 is like the most majestic thing creation of man like there's just something beautiful about watching it there's a place in San Francisco um, right by SFO there's a restaurant called Kincaid's, and right across the street from Kincaid's is the water and from the water you can watch airplanes take off and it there's just something awesome about it there's this you know you just feel the sense of adventure watching it so when I was five I wanted to be a pilot For some time, I thought I wanted to be a doctor, but that largely was not really my own doing. I think it was because of the environment I was in. I I saw a lot of these India doctors Mm -hmm. driving Mercedes and living great, you know, living in big houses. I thought, okay, yeah, I want that. I was like, and I realized I said I I didn't want the doctor part. I just wanted the houses and the cars. (laughs) Um, Sure, but you know, I I think by the time I started college, I didn't have really any concept of it. Um, I I think it was very vague. Like, you know, I, I thought I would be a business major. I ended up as an econ major. Uh, I went into sales because it was the only job that had the potential for a really high payday that wasn't investment banking or management consulting. And, Uh you know, like looking back, so so I can't necessarily say, you know, and there was a point in high school at which I did want to be a writer, uh, a goal that I gave up on until much later in life. So that, you know, hopefully kind of (laughs) answers your question. So
1: were your parents terrified when you became an entrepreneur? Were they like, what the heck are you doing? You're ruining your life. We worked so hard and you seemed like you were on the right track and now you're, what are you doing? We don't understand it. Did you get that or did you not? A lot of Uh, people get that. I
0: I got a little bit of that. I mean, I got the whole, you know, build your empire on the side and have a real job at the same time, Um, you know, uh, and, you know, to the point where, you know, I almost did quit and I, I finally, I think this was like the end of 2014 where my life was basically falling apart. But I told my parents, give me another year, and if things haven't turned around by then, I'll will I'll, I'll go. I'll go look for a real job. And you know, coincidentally, I got the book deal that year, and everything has has been you know um, not well, like you know smooth sailing. But um, but yeah, I mean, of course, I, I don't think that there's there's especially because my sister is a doctor, you know.
1: Okay, all right. So you got a little you got a little air cover from her. It's like, "All right, at least one of our kids will be respectable." Yeah. Like at least one of them will go on and and <laughs> and do something that makes us proud. So I I really think as as crazy as this sounds cuz I experienced this from my parents who are lovely people and and are wonderful people and they they really wanted the best for me. So like some people are like, "No, my parents." It's like, "No, they're I had a little bit of that when I was younger and they were like, "What are you doing?" Um and I was like, "No, you don't understand me, mom and dad. No." Uh, you know, but, you know, I get it, you know, parents really want the best for their children and, you know, my, my good friend, and I, I eventually, I dropped out of two high schools and then I went to college and still got a scholarship to college. I figured out a way to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, and I was able to get to college, and they're like, "All right, all right, he's all right." And then I dropped out to like go do stuff, and they're like, "No!" And eventually, I went back and finished my undergraduate. I'm a big believer in education, and, and it's like not the worst thing in the world for a young person to do if they don't know what else to do. You know, you get around an environment, you get an opportunity to get exposure, different ideas, meet some people. There's it kind of gives you a way to tell other people what you're doing that makes sense. And this is way before entrepreneurship was cool in the Mark Zuckerberg movie or whatever, right? <laughs> right. But you know, I, I, I've seen this. You know, I've seen this. You know, my, my, my close friend. Uh, my business partner at ultra working and we've worked on so many charity projects and education. We've done a lot in education work with a lot of top universities. Uh, Kai Zhao. Kai, uh, you know, Kai was born in Northern China and, and he immigrated, uh, you know, with his parents and, uh, you know, his dad's a scientist and uh, does really cool, you know, really like cutting edge science, like, like material science research, like really cool stuff. And, you know, when he dropped out um, of college to get into entrepreneurship and sales, actually, Kai did sales, um, I wound up doing some sales at some point. It's quite common. You know, we're like, what can we do with no skills and a lot of willpower and nothing else, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, well, there's a field that a lot of people burn out in. They're always looking for new people to see if you can handle it for more than five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, his his parents freaked out. My parents freaked out. Um, if your parents didn't freak out, then, then you know, bless, bless them. They're, they're, that's, that's way more than most people can have. And I, I really think, you know, um, when you go off on your own, um, especially in modern culture you know we don't we don't have to go fight wars we're not like those those young boys from the cornfields they were sending to storm the guns of normandy and roll the nazis back you know we didn't have to go serve in vietnam um you know if you enlisted you could do that but we haven't had the draft we haven't had to like hit the wall it's not like the great depression my grandmother told me stories about having to go steal tomatoes from a farm to not starve right we didn't have any of that like grow up fast stuff so we get like 17 18 19 i'm not sure they were totally adults now hey maturity like maturity is about like having unique life experiences and synthesizing them so maybe there's some young listeners out here i'm not hating I'm, I'm a big believer that the young people can do whatever they want and what they set their mind to but a lot of people go off to college they don't know what they want and they're like man this just isn't working for me and when i envision like i don't want to be here for four years and then getting a job for four years or whatever. And your folks are like looking at you and you're like, look, just just stick with it. It works. It's like proven. But that's even becoming less true. So if you're mm-hmm. keeping your head up and you're looking around, you're seeing, hey, you know, I'm seeing people that are in like safe careers getting laid off. You know, I'm seeing people that go to, uh, you know, every major except engineering, computer science, graduate from school and go work at Starbucks. You're like, this, this doesn't look good, man. I got to find something better. This is like, this isn't good. You know, some people look around. They look for what's meaningful for them. They don't see that certainty. I really do think, you know, if you're not fully your own person that's had, uh, you know, a bunch of, you know, experiences and synthesize them, you don't know exactly what you want. Mm-hmm. But it's easy enough to look at that and say, I don't want that. And then, but, you know, your family's like, look, just do it. Just trust it. It's fine. We did it. It works. Maybe that's changing a little bit. Ten years ago, uh, you know, this was this was very much the case. And, uh, you know, I, I really think a big reason that people don't do it is because, you know, uh, you know, if you're coming, if you're come from a middle class family, a working class family, they worked hard to like give you a decent life. It was like a better life than they had, your parents. And they're like, just go do this and trust us. And like, you don't, you're not really sure about exactly what you want, you know? Like, if if a if a kid gets a, a scholarship to play athletics at a very high level or gets on the Olympic team, people are like, kind of like, all right, I get that. But if you're like, you know, I don't know what I want, but I kind of think I don't want that. Your parents are like, just do it, trust us. It worked. And I can see why a lot of people listen. You know, you love your family, you want to like do right by them. Um sometimes that's a great shame, though. I mean, like what you're doing, uh, Srini, where you're reaching so many people, thousands of people, and you're you're changing their lives, you're getting these amazing stories and guidance out of people, you know, like, uh, I'm, I'm sure you would have been a fine, uh, you know, physician or, or pilot, but like, you're doing something like super cool that can grow to like infinity. And, and really, like, nobody else would have done, like, at least not the same way, for sure. And like, I, I think that is... You know, it's, it's a tough thing when people are trying to decide between like, I don't know exactly what I want. I could step off into the abyss, mm-hmm. which is terrifying, you know, or like people are telling me this is a safe path and I should stick with it that I love and I trust and like they're on my side. Yeah. And I get why people like stay on the path.
0: You know, it's interesting because I, I think a lot about sort of social programming and how social programming impacts our choices and how I, I think, you know, one of the common patterns I've seen between people who have really interesting careers is an ability to overcome um, their social programming or ignore it altogether or even change it. Um, so I'm I'm actually curious, actually, that, that raises a question of, of, you know, based on your sort of life experience. Um, how do you change social programming, especially as somebody who, you know, in a lot of ways completely ignored it, like dropping out of high school is really very much ignoring a social program?
1: Yeah, I mean, so that's a that's a great question. I, so I think it's, so I'm going to take this a little bit kind of out in space a little bit and then I'll bring it back down. So one thing that's been very, very interesting for me that I've been looking into and studying because I'm doing a lot more hiring i'm doing a lot more interviewing i'm connecting with a lot more people i'm needing to size people up quickly so i'm reading the literature on it i'm getting to know people um, and what they do and how they act and and a couple things that i've come across lately have been very interesting i've also been doing some athletic training um and one thing that's very very interesting is you know you think or presume that other people think the same way you do right and they kind of do right to some extent but, but actually, people are having very different internal experiences all the time. And Myers-Briggs actually does a decent job of capturing this. People say it's not fully scientifically vetted. These two, you know, two women, I think they're like sisters or mother and daughter or some such, just came up with it based on Jung. Uh, but like it, like, yeah, people look at it and go, actually, it's pretty accurate. And a lot of organizations do uh, the Myers-Briggs type indicator to see, like, hey, what are we dealing with? One of the most interesting things in Myers-Briggs, and they've seen this in a bunch of other fields, the amount that you're in your kind of your mental head or you're perceiving out into the world, and the amount that you're in your body versus in your mind, kind of, and and like, pardon me if I'm a little out in space, but we'll try not to, actually varies from person to person, right? So, like, um, you know, a classical example of this would be, like, take the famous mathematician Paul Erdős. like, wrote more math papers than anyone in history, amazing guy, hero of mine. Um, He was, like, totally had that, like, nutty professor, like, is wearing his right shoe on his left foot stereotype about him. And it was like totally true. Like he couldn't open a carton of juice correctly. There's stories of his friends of him mangling a carton of juice because he was so in his own head. Like he wasn't, like his relative emphasis and perception on what his hands are doing was lower than it is for most people. And, you know, I would, I would say to the listeners here, probably some people are listening when they're in the gym, probably some people are commuting. Um, some percentage of people are like listening and they're like drilled into this and it's percolating thoughts. They're thinking about their childhood. They're thinking about like, where am I doing? What am I doing? And like, those people might be noticing less, like what posters are on the wall in the gym? Like what color is the ceiling? Some people notice those details and just like are locked into all of them. And they have a a really, like they're perceiving a lot. They're taking in a lot from the environment. And some people are like really in their own head and dealing with a lot of abstractions. Likewise, I think there's also some genetic tendency that you can train against for like levels of how much approval you need and how painful it is to get rejected i think it varies from person to person training can get you over it and it can change you but i think it's actually really good to understand your baseline just like we all have slightly different body types some people are naturally very skinny that's like great and their friends envy them they can eat junk food and not get fat but maybe they have a hard time putting on muscle right some people have a a, you know a little slower metabolism maybe they lift weights they put on a lot of muscle and that's great for them they don't watch what they eat they get heavy right likewise you know i think we have all uh, some innate baselines mix of genetics and culture um as to how much rejection hurts how much are you in your own head and how much are you out in the world and i think people this is like i'm pretty sure this is true from everything i look at i think people that are out in the world more they notice their surroundings more they notice what other people think more. Uh, they notice how other people are dressed versus not paying attention to it, like a stereotypical nerd or a stereotypical geek, or, you know, and I'm a nerd and a geek, so I'm into all that, you know? But, like, those people that are, are, are noticing out in the world how are other people dressed, how are other people groomed, are they happy or not, right, um, I think are more sensitive uh, to getting rejected twice. First, because they notice disapproval more, and they're, like, out there looking at the world to figure out what's going on, right? And second because they haven't built up as much of an inner world of like, I got this idea for a business and I'm like pretty sure it's good. And there's like a need for it. And like other people don't see it, but I see it in my head. Right. And when you have that, it doesn't exist. And you know, you got parents that are very practical and you're like, mom and dad, I have an idea for a business. gonna do this thing with like a podcast and a conference. And they're like, what are you talking about? What is, well, I, I get a get a get a please get a medical degree. Please get, become an MD, please. <laughs> you know, like, like, like hang it. You can't hang this and put it on the wall, what you're talking about. And I can't see it. And like, I know what a doctor looks like. And don't, and this doesn't look like a doctor to me. Right. So, you know, I think people that are, they're that naturally, naturally, weirdly, the people that are naturally less in their own heads have a harder time breaking. Uh, from conforming, you know they notice more like if they 're sitting on the floor of a rundown place they 're like i 'm a failure, look at this room i 'm in you know i 'm in a ratty, run down, terrible room. I have no money, my clothes are turning into rags i 'm a failure, whereas like the mathematician the Paul erdish is like i 've got this math that i 'm working on it 's beautiful, or the you know the nascent entrepreneur is like "I got this idea, or the artist is like man i could if I could just get this this what I have in my head on the on, on the canvas that i 'm trying to paint you know th- that gives you a lot more um ability to 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 kind of persevere and to keep faith and hope though at the end of the day it is skills and training and systems and stuff anybody can move in whatever direction they want it just might be a different challenge it might be a little harder or a little easier
0: okay we'll talk about the skills training and systems piece because i you know that now I'm, I'm starting to sort of have flashbacks to our last conversation about this but before we get there um i want to ask about um dropping out of high school and kind of how that has formed your views on education and what you think as somebody who has done work related to education like what does the future of education look like in your mind
1: ah oh, man um well okay so i mean i actually work with some people at universities we have a wonderful uh partnership that's going into the the third year now with the university of chicago so we're actually running an entrepreneurship. Uh, Two and a half weeks live. Summer.givegetwin.com. People can check it out. It's 100% free if you're selected. It's pretty competitive. We get a few hundred people applying and we, we take the top 20 and it's pretty intense. So don't feel bad if you don't get in like a lot of really good people apply, but it's pretty neat. And so we go, and we run some programming at U Chicago. The whole thing is live at U Chicago. It's free to attend, but like we take... Like it's pretty selective, as just math would say. Um, I talk with people at universities, and I talk with uh, uh, you know some departmental heads, and sometimes we work with the head of entrepreneurship or whatever. The Polsky Exchange at UChicago is wonderful. They're the most wonderful people in the world. UChicago really gets it, and it's really dialed in. Um, the idea of like, classical liberal arts without career outcomes is now rapidly becoming unpalatable to uh, really to parents more than anything, I would yeah. say. Right, so you see in the U.S. news and world rankings for colleges, schools that have tech programs and they get people into really great jobs are going up the rankings, um, and that's Chicago, MIT, Stanford are just going up fast. And I won't name names, but you could look it up. Uh, places that are not necessarily generating career outcomes are going down. Now, some people in education think, well, that's that's terrible. Like we should just should be an institution of learning. This is not a vocational school, and that's one point of view. Another point of view is like, well that's what people want like we better make sure that they can do something after college cuz you know if you get a degree in economics but then you're working at Starbucks and like you know you don't want to be working at Starbucks I'm, I'm not hating on anyone working at starbucks that's great you know but if like that's not what you wanted to do um you know a lot of people get really unhappy they feel like oh, i've been a little bit misled by society as for dropping out of high school ah i mean that was so long ago i don't really identify with it anymore i mean i was um i got bored mm-hmm. i got bored i was a, uh, I was a straight a student when i paid attention and I was just bored. I would, like, figure this stuff out. And would, like, this is boring. Um, and, you know, so, like, I did pretty well in school and, and extracurriculars when I cared. And then I was, this is just boring. And I would go to the university computer lab and screw around on computers. And I would, like, dress up a little bit so I look like a university student. And I thought I was being all sneaky. and Like, nobody cares. Like, that's the funniest thing, right? So I would go to the university and I'd go to a computer lab. Like, oh, I hope they don't know that I'm a high school student. And, and i just sit down and mess around on computers. And, and this is, you know, back when you know what was this like 15 16 years ago so like this is like this is when you know if you had like good internet not dial up like you know i was always trying to get those like free aol discs that they would email you <laughs> yeah. and just like cause i don't have any money i did not have a debit card right uh-huh. um so i was like just like trying, I was like oh man those discs were like oh man i want to get on the internet and then you know my folks would be like why are you screwing up the phone line and you know like after a while they let me have my own phone line which was really cool so i mean i could run the internet right which is like you know like aol6 and stuff you know it was back in the day the dell computer um you know this is like way before like the internet 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 this is like i don't think wi-fi existed at that point it might have but like nobody had it if it did i'm pretty sure it didn't like laptops were rare Mm -hmm. right so you know, it was like right around that time, and I was like, "Man, computers are cool." I go to the cafe, and like kids don't do tobacco. Tobacco the worst thing on the planet. But I'd smoke cigarettes and play chess. Quitting cigarettes was really hard. Don't ever, ever smoke. It's not <laughs> cool. It's terrible. Kill you. But I'd like smoke cigarettes and play chess, and I thought I was cool. Um, and it wasn't cool. I was an idiot. But like I thought it was cool. Um, and so like I was into chess and conversations and like computers. And like I understood algebra pretty quickly, and I was bored. Uh, so I left. Um, I think you're seeing a lot more outlets. I think you're seeing a lot more outlets for people that, that want to do that. I think the internet's actually a godsend because you can uh, self learn, and there's nothing stopping you if you're a high school student from setting up your own blog or starting to do your own projects. You can go on a Deviant Art and upload visual art. Uh, you could start a podcast relatively trivially and upload it. I mean, like it'll probably be bad. But that's okay. Everything's, everybody's first everything is bad, and you just take it down later when you make a better thing. Uh, you know, you go on YouTube and just record what you're doing. Like, I mean, like, that's so amazing that people can actually do meaningful things. And there's not gatekeepers, and they're not like, yeah, just show me the degree. And, you know, that means that you showed up for four years in a row, um, and we'll hire you. And then we'll make a six-month bet on training you. And you won't actually be productive or profitable for our company for six months, but we figure we'll have you for, like, five years. So we'll, like, train you on the job after you've shown that you can, like, be there for four years in a row and keep getting it done. I think that's changing. I think the biggest thing that's there but not there is people don't realize all the resources. People don't realize all the resources that are there for them. Most universities now, at least a lot of them that I've seen, actually have really cool things happening on campus that you can go to. There's always a few cool clubs. There's always a few cool hackathons and entrepreneurship programs. And like, it breaks my heart. There's things like Startup Weekend. It breaks my heart that people don't know about these and don't go to them. Just like go and see if you like it. Do you know what I mean? Like everybody should try out a few different sports enough to see if they click with them. Everybody should just play around with some circuits and Arduino boards. And like, everybody should try to write a few lines of code and everybody should try a couple rounds of public speaking. And then whichever ones click, you can like go learn those in real time. It's never been easier. It's so easy, but people like, like, unless you get a mentor and that's how it works out for most people, a really great professor or one of your parents is really into like, Hey, look, you got to, always be responsible for your own education and be trying things and whatever, or like a really cool uncle or an older brother or sister, you know, in the absence of that, people just don't realize that they can just like learn things and do things. It's never been easier, uh, to learn anything you want and connect with anyone you want. And there's so many great things out there. Um, but like, I think our generation will raise our kids better and expose them to a ton of stuff. Cause like we went through it and we know how to do it. But like, I still think for 10, 15 more years, um, you know, sometimes they're just people aren't, aren't getting guidance from the people in the generation, uh, above ours that like, you can learn all this stuff. It's amazing. You can produce whatever you want, but like, get on it, please.
0: Mm. Wow. So tell me uh, about the sort of trajectory of your career, kind of, you know, leaving college to doing everything that you've done today. Like what have been the most sort of significant inflection points and, and what have you learned from each one of them?
1: Great question. So I mean, I have, have so many different things. If I was to pick the one, like, I would narrow down on one of them that might be, like, very informative so it's not just, like, a bunch of random data points. Um, writing is one that I'm now, like, loving where I'm at as a writer. I now write, do the math, a couple hundred thousand words a year while running a company and a pretty innovative nonprofit and, like, don't have much of a social life but some semblance of one and, like, keeping healthy. Um, I think writing might not be a bad comp. Is that for a long time, like you, Serena, I wanted to be a writer. I thought writing was really cool. I thought it was really important. Um, but I was only able to write for a long time when I was inspired. Mm. And I wasn't able to write methodically.
6: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Real noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
3: This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which
1: I don't know. Did you experience this? Why didn't you write for a long oh, yeah. time?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, it's it's so funny because, uh, you know, I think this is going to be a perfect setup for what I want to spend a lot of time talking about, which is systems and, and sort of structure and looking at sort of what you learn from science. But, yeah, I mean, a big part of it was this idea of being inspired. It was sporadic. Um, I also didn't, you know, I, I think part of it was not having an outlet necessarily. The fact that, you know, suddenly I had a blog and could publish the thoughts made a big difference. Um, as opposed to, you know, doing it in a vacuum, like when I was doing it in a vacuum, what was interesting is I would have these sort of bursts where, you know, right after college, I wrote a 63 page, you know, single spaced autobiography in eight days. Um, and, yep. but there's nothing I could do with that. And when I got fired from my first job, I wrote a 20 page story about the experience of working at that job. And, you know, uh, as tempted as I was to publish, pub, you know, submit it to the San Jose Mercury News, I thought there are a lot of other people who work there. This might actually be bad for them if I did that. Uh, so, out of, you know, respect for the people who work there, I resisted submitting it, but I, I'm sure I have it somewhere in all my files.
1: Yeah, I bet that'd be a riot to go back and, and skim and, and see how far you've come. But yeah, no, it's the same way. You know Nietzsche uh wrote uh, thus big Zarathustra in 3 one-day bursts, just like manic bursts, mm-hmm. just 3 24-hour periods. So yeah, that that inspired burst thing is um was the same. I was able to do that and it didn't get published and it didn't it didn't aggregate. Aggregation is something I think about all the time, which is, you know, a, a friend of mine, a Jewish guy, he puts it uh he he says, "Don't tell me how hard you work, tell me what you've got to show for it." mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Right, which is kind of about aggregation. And for me, for a long time, I would get an inspired burst and I would work really hard on something. But like, man, my dead file of stuff that's eighty to ninety-five percent complete on writing just kept going up every single year. And like, that was really bad. Like, just that would never add up to anything, right? And I think that's a problem that a lot of people have when they're getting into creativity is like, all right, like I started blogging, and when I made a commitment to writing every single day on my blog, and I did that for literally every single day for I don't know three four years. And, like, yeah, eventually, like, you just get better. Um, even then, I, w- I didn't know how to improve the quality. That was just kind of like I will write something, and I forced myself to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't able to write, like, essays that I was proud of or, or, or books reliably in that time period. Um, sometimes it'd be good, and I'd be like, why'd that happen? Man, I should start feeling like that again next time. Is it the cafe I was at? Go Sam cafe? Nope. Um, and, and I think that's the thing that a lot of people that are um, – more creative driven even even if they're entrepreneurs like there's some entrepreneurs that approach entrepreneurship kind of like a engineer or like an accountant and i say that in the most glowing uh respectful like i think it's great it's a pretty reliable way to succeed when you just like put blocks down but for the people that like approach things more like like let me just like find the magic here where's the thread like how do i really get inspired and get in the zone? yeah, it's very easy to not be inspired and just to just to grind to a halt and, and and have everything die. Um, and that really sucks. And that was me for years. That was me for years before I started writing every day. Even then, I couldn't reliably produce anything good. Mm-hmm. Which, like, that kind of sucks when you're doing that for years. And after a while, you know, some of my my things went went front page on Hacker News, um, and other sites, and I got on things like Boing Boing and Life Hacker, and these were like some of the biggest sites on the internet at that point. Um, this is before Facebook and Twitter were as big as they are. And it was, there were still these big aggregations that were so important. And and sometimes a hundred thousand people would check it out, but I didn't know what to do with that. Like it didn't really ever lead to anything. You know, it was cool. Like I'd, I'd meet some people. It was neat, mm-hmm. but you know, two, three years in, it was like happening, but like, yeah. Right. And you know, making the shift to, you know, I guess what's Pressfield called going pro mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's a game changer when you can do that. And then when you start to be able to not lose the magic, the magic is great. If if you, if you want to make magic, if you've got that like Walt Disney characteristic about you, the ability to keep it, and you've definitely got the stringy, and I see the magic, the elements of the magic all over the place. I believe Mars, Dorian, is a, is a mutual friend of ours. I believe yep. he's your illustrator, right? Yeah, he's a he very does. unique style. He's yeah. got the magic.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, he doesn't do the album covers, but a good amount, any, any special project, Mars is pretty much our go-to guy.
1: I mean, Mars is a wonderful guy, yeah. and he's got the magic. He's like, got the magic, right? So like, once you can have the magic... Systematically, Uh and you can improve your technique and your craft and your production without losing the spark, keeping the magic, you could do some special things.
0: Okay. Well, I, I think that makes a perfect setup. It's it's almost a bizarre coincidence that this is what we're talking about because this morning as I was writing, I'm um, working on my second book and I suddenly had an idea for a medium post because I'd been stuck. I hadn't had anything you know, in terms of an idea for a medium post for two weeks. I was like, this is annoying. And then I, I came to this realization. I said, oh my God, I'm like, having a system is essential for creative output of any kind. Um, without a system, you're basically shooting in the dark. Um, So I'm curious, um, what I want to look at this is through a couple of lenses, you know, you said that you were writing without getting any better. um, But then you sort of systematically stumbled upon, you know, you figured out how to systematize magic. Um, So I'm curious kind of how that sort of scientist background, your interest in science has applied to all of this and dissecting it, and how you've developed your own systems um, for creativity and output.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, So, I could come at this from a few different places. Well, let's come at it from the abstract and then get really concrete. So, uh, there's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful guy named Bob Posen. He wrote a book called Extreme Productivity. And Mm -hmm. Posen uh, is a professor at Harvard Business School. And after the financial crash, he rewrote a bunch of securities law. He's a lawyer. And I think he was the head of Fidelity Investments for a while, which is unusual for a lawyer to be. Become the head of a company or he was at least very important there um, and, and he did a ton of things In extreme productivity he like just listed out like here's the mechanics of writing well and he suggests i'd already been working for a long time to try to improve craft but posing was kind of like the last piece that i needed mm-hmm. um, he says break your writing into three um, into three or to four separate steps where you do a brainstorming an outlining a writing and an editing revising and you don't m- intermix them, so you just reliably do it. Now, if somebody was to read the book; I recommend it. It's great. Um, here's what I tell everybody that I recommend this to: is you will get slower and be worse at writing and less creative, and it'll be frustrating for between twenty and hundred hours. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's the downside. Like, is is it's, it's, it's kind of like somebody with bad mechanics at baseball with like great athletic ability, like would be better if they were like swinging the bat in a more correct way. But like you're making an unconscious process conscious always makes you worse and self-conscious and it's bad for a while. So like you get a little worse to get better. So it's hard work to switch over to it. But when you can reliably say, okay, uh, you know, what are the range of topics that I want to cover potentially in this piece? What do I really want to say? And there's a number of ways you could do it. You know, if you're you're writing very creative driven, you could look for like a hook or a story or something and then say, okay, I'm like... If it's nonfiction and you want the person to to be able to get a lesson, okay, what's the lesson? What's the takeaway? What's the gestalt? Or you could just list out a bunch of unrelated things um, and just see, okay, which of these kind of fit or not, and then kind of put them in a structure. And then you write and you edit, and those are both skills that can be developed. Likewise, uh, writing has a bunch of skills involved, right? So there's the quality of your sentences. There's the cadence of them. There's your word choices. Um, And I I contend this is true in in just about every field. Every field that I've looked into – there's always these like micro skills that if you look at the people that are really killing it, that are improving their craft all the time, there's always something right. So I did a little bit of fencing at one point, you know, with like swords, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, you don't call them swords and fencing. It's kind of gauche, but like swords, uh, and like, it's all footwork and like little tiny finger movements. It's not these like big, like, pirate swinging a sword around thing it's very like subtle right so you can work on exactly how you move your back foot and then your front foot on a retreat for like a little half of a step and you can just like work on that for three hours um, and get a little bit better and i see this is true in all sports and i see this is true in entrepreneurship where you can like look at your financials and you can look at like the messaging of your offer and you can like look at your price points and you can look at the delivery and the customer service and you can take it apart and i think a lot of times creative people resist doing this because their intuition is so good right, and their creativity and their magic is so good that sometimes it outputs something really, really great, and then it's uncomfortable to go into a zone of ambiguity and unpleasantness and I don't know what the heck that I'm doing, um, which when you're learning the method of analytically breaking things up, right, to do them sequentially or to work on them in pieces, uh, it, it's just unpleasant um, until you learn it and then, you know, be able to trust and, and have confidence in that process once you do it's actually very freeing and very liberating where you can say like all right like this doesn't open strong enough like it just takes too long to get to the main point you know is this like written poorly on a technical level or is this just like a bad story Mm -hmm. when i reread it do i need to rip this out and do something else so once you have that mechanics level understanding it's similar to like you know a boxer that learned not through training but just like kind of figured it out like, the coach can say, like, hey, you're lifting your foot in the wrong order. You're going to get knocked out, right? But he or she doesn't know that.
0: Mm-hmm. It was interesting. When when you're saying that, I was thinking about um, snowboarding. A, a friend of mine who's, uh, you know, an avid snowboarder was just here at my, my apartment uh, on Saturday night. And I was telling him, I said, you know, I – There's one thing that I have yet to be able to do and it's hit jumps. You know, and I'm, I'm at a point where I'm 38, so I'm not going to be doing 50, 50 foot jumps because if I break a bone, (laughs) I'm not going to heal. Um, but I asked him, I said, what's the key? And I said, and, and where do people, you know, go wrong? He said, well, here's the thing. He said, you know, people who try to hit jumps initially on snowboards, what happens is that the minute they are in the air, their whole body posture changes, which causes them to eat shit. And I was like, so you're telling me that I'm going to have to eat shit a few times. He said, probably, but he said, what happens is at a certain point you learn not to freak out when you're in the air and you just land.
1: Huh? Makes sense. Yeah. No, that's a great metaphor. Yeah. Wow.
0: <clears throat> okay. Um,
1: that's a great metaphor for technique improvement. You get on a new technique,
0: uh-huh.
1: right? And then you're like, ah, I can't handle this, and so you like wipe out. Yeah. But like, yeah, you just try, try like if a lot of professionals use that in your field, then there's probably something there. Than just like schedule one month of practicing on it. I I gave myself a month of training on that, Mm -hmm. uh, on that method, which I was pretty sure was correct. Um, And I also said when I, I stopped writing for a while to like try to get better. I don't necessarily recommend this, but I've been doing it for a long time. Um, and I said I wasn't going to start re-releasing until I had a two-month backlog. So I write an essay every week at the strategic review. People really like it. Um, and I said I was going to wait till I had eight of them to get started. So then I had eight weeks. That's the most tactical piece of feedback that I have for people that are creative, which is have backlog. So mm-hmm. you can have three bad weeks in a row and not wipe out, right? Like just, yeah. you, you know, you just can't. You just can't. Some days you just can't make something great before tomorrow just yeah. not always possible <laughs> um and having backlog just is like it's such a sanity quality of life enhancer and like i look for two months yeah um and that means i can have a bad five weeks in a row and be okay which is great which is great because I, I never have a bad two months in a row do you know what i mean like <laughs> right, crazy three weeks followed by two weeks of healing followed by okay i got three weeks to build the backlog back up
0: yeah you know the the other thing I was thinking about in terms of system is 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 kind of how they free sort of the the unco- the, the conscious mind to actually do work because you know if you're all your effort is focused on the process itself um, of of trying to figure out how am I going to sit down and write how much am I going to write um, you know whatever I mean and we're just using writing as as the the sort of context for this example but if you're if you're having to think about every one of those things every day. That's like, you know, cognitive bandwidth being directed towards, you know, probably the lowest value things that occur out of your creative output. Um, as opposed to, you know, saying that all of this stuff is predetermined like what time, how much, you know, for how long. Basically what you're freed up to do then is actually come up with real insight, is sort of the, the revelation that I had this morning.
1: Yeah, have you have you heard of the, the story of Buridan's ass? Ass like donkey, Burden's Donkey? No. So this is, it's like an, it's like, I think it's an Aesop fable. It's really old. Uh, it's like this donkey that is very, very thirsty and very, very hungry, but equally thirsty and hungry. And he is exactly halfway between a pail of water on his left and some hay to eat on his right. And because he's exactly halfway, he turns to one, but then he wants the other one just as much. So he looks at the hay, like no, but I want the water and turns back and just keeps doing that and then dies of hunger and thirst. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of creative people do that because they have too many things going on and they're not like today I'm just doing X. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, All right, I'm doing X. Like I'm waking up and I'm spending three hours on my writing. Could be word count, could be hours. I've seen people use both. Yeah. And then you just sit there and you do that until it's done uh, and or you suffer, but you don't do anything else. Right? <laughs> right. And you just do that and that's it. And then, that, then you succeed. And like that product like publication schedule production schedule whatever and backlog and you're good that's it that's the game
0: yeah it's uh, you know i i wrote this piece the other day uh that that i haven't published yet titled simple but not sexy and that's exactly what that is it's simple but not sexy you know and i think often people you know in my mind when people are looking for something sexy it's just a form of resistance it's kind of like okay you know you listen to people in a writer's workshop and they'll ask a dozen questions that have nothing to do with writing and you're like, none of those things are going to make the difference that you actually sitting down and writing will.
1: I got something neat for you that maybe maybe your listeners will like. I just finished uh, a book on audio, and it was was pretty good. I think if you do the first three, four chapters, you you got the idea. The rest of it, it's fine, but like three chapters is enough, which was how bad do you want it? Mm -hmm. It's about endurance sports. And this guy's big idea, he's a sports psychologist. This guy's big idea is that perception of effort and the ability to produce more effort when you think you can't and like produced through pain is what makes a good endurance athlete because he did a, he a bunch of studies and such and nobody produces like near their body's limit at any given time. And an elite, elite, elite athlete might get 85 or 90% of their body, but they always have more.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And there's a bunch of examples of this. One of the things that was really just game changing once I went through this and started applying it is challenging myself of like, all right, if I used to be only able to write when I'm inspired, can I write when I'm feeling only pretty good? right? Then can I write when I'm feeling exactly neutral? And then can I write when I'm feeling a little slightly bad, right? And just challenging myself to like, how do I produce? And like learning. And I actually think, I actually think it's a skill to be able to produce when you're not feeling that great. And it's a skill that has like different mechanics, right? It'd be kind of like, you know, if you, uh, if you got a little bit of an injury in a sport where you can kind of play around it, you might not be able to do the same moves, right? The same thing when you're inspired and and you hit flow state and, you know, uh, you know, it's kind of when the skill meets the difficulty level exactly is, is the, you know, Mihaly's, you know, kind of definition of flow state and it's time disappears. Like, that's great. And that's easy. Right. And then, like, then getting to being able to produce when you're neutral, like, that's pretty cool. If you can, like, make progress when you're neutral. And if you can, like, get up, be in a bad mood, be a little bit sick, be a little bit uncreative and be like, all right, what do I need to do? Like, I need to, like, write an opening to this. Okay. And, like, what Hemingway say? Write one true sentence. Right. Yeah. Um, I think Hemingway said that. But like, you know, that ability to train—I do see it as training, mental training, like practice—to mm-hmm. produce when you're not feeling great, and it's like a commitment. It's not like tomorrow this will work. It's like give it a month, give it three months, and then you like you know you're gonna you're gonna get a month older in the next month, anyways, right? So like if this is important to you, and this is making a cold call, this is developing your product, this is programming an open source thing, this is building a business, this is painting, this is writing, this is kind of everything. Um, because like, hey, like our moods are kind of distributed, right? we have kind of like a bell curve of moods. Most of the time, we're gonna be feeling like mostly about average, and half the time, we're gonna be feeling a little below our average, right? So like the ability to produce when you're like, say, from your 20% and up, which means like five, six days a week, you're able to produce something pretty good. Mm-hmm. I think that's cool when you can get there.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, having been exposed to sort of the, the wide array of people that you've been exposed to, and sort of the length of time that you've, you know, um, had all these different entrepreneurial endeavors. Uh, I am curious why we see such a vast gap in performance and results from people. And, and you know, what accounts for that? And more importantly, how do you change it?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. You, you want to get a little more specific? You want to give me like a couple of examples of people? Well, I, or like, I guess like, the, dude, the sort of – Anonymize them. Let's not call them out. No,
0: let's not call anybody out. But I mean I, I think really what I'm, I'm alluding to is sort of the vicious cycle of personal development where people you know, make all these efforts but don't get any results. And then you've got this like one group of people who just produces astounding, astounding results. Um, and, and like trying to answer that question has, as, you know, like kept me, um, searching for it <laughs> for the better part of a, a year or so.
1: I got a boring, unsexy answer for you if you okay. want it. I do. <laughs> uh, I, I think most people, first off, don't do enough planning. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, the simplest version, uh, of a weekly review is three questions. So what's really going on? One, or one, what's really going on? Two, so what do I do about it? Three, what matters, what doesn't? Mm -hmm. And if things are going swimmingly, those questions are, are, you know, what's really going on? You know, really, I like the word really in there, what's really going on? So you're like honest with yourself of like, yeah, I'm working a job I don't really like. I'm kind of burning out and I wish I was doing X. Okay, so what do I do about it? Second question, right? Like, man, I really need to like either start taking my more more seriously or change jobs or X, whatever. And then what matters semicolon, what doesn't? Um, I think that goes a long way because I think the first thing is that people don't necessarily keep their eyes on what's really, really important. If you sit and at the best level of your ability, you can say X is important to me. I don't have a good enough social circle. I don't have good enough mentors. I don't have good enough friends. I gotta go meet more people. Okay, maybe that's the most important thing. Like, I'm doing like mediocre quality work in a field that's important to me, but like, it's just not good enough. Like, I need to improve my craft. Okay, that's the most important thing. Like, I want to uh, build a business, but I don't know. I know I want to build a business, but I don't know what field. Okay, like, you gotta go check out markets and like see what problems you could solve and get to know the people in different fields and see which one you want to, you know, make a go of it in. Right, So like knowing what's most important, and I, I think you need to do this at least weekly, but I mean, really, I mean monthly, quarterly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but like some people go years without like asking what's really important. Then I think you need to do what's important every single day for at least 10 minutes. That's actually my bar, 10 minutes. I don't think projects fail. I don't think people don't build a business uh, or don't make art because they um, you know, should have put in 100 hours this week and only put in 30. Mm-hmm. I don't think that happens. I think people put things on the shelf. Or uh, they say, I'll get around to it. And it's like, get around to it right now. <laughs> you know, go put 10 minutes in. Um, I think the eventual target you want to hit is at least uh, two hours in the morning of, of, like, most important maker, important work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another two hours in the afternoon. That's only four hours. Any Everybody I know that does four hours on, like, whatever's most important every single day is very successful. Mm-hmm. And you replay them weekly, and sometimes you're wrong, and you go down a rabbit hole and doesn't work or whatever. And that's that's fine. That's part sure. of the game. But... You know, if, as long as you do 10 minutes, you've got a placeholder in your life and things uh-huh. keep moving forward and you keep looking at it. It's when you take two weeks off, th- suddenly things are getting dusty. You're going to have to reorient to the problem space. You don't remember what you're going to do. If you reached out to some people, hey, you're kind of sort of interested in this. and you take two weeks to reply to them. They're not interested anymore. You know, you do 10 minutes. Okay, what's most important? Man, I really should reply to that guy in this space. I wrote to him. He's very gracious to write back. I should reply. It's been two days, uh-huh. right? Uh, you put in your 10 minutes. I really think... I I, I actually don't think it's possible for a person, um, you know, in a modern, you know, Western country that's like doing reasonably okay, right? Like to put in 10 minutes a day on what's most important and repick what's most important and stick with that. Not like working hard, but like most important. Uh, that will grow like if you just reliably do 10 minutes you'll you'll do more than 10 minutes really quickly and once you get up to a couple hours or more
0: uh-huh. like
1: you do that you're going to be pretty successful you're going to at least be more successful every single year than the year you were before if you're picking at all correctly what's most important which you can learn and improve at that too uh and then putting the time in And and people just get busy and don't do what's important and then they just don't get what they want hmm. wow
0: Well, um, I have to ask uh, about your reading habits, because you've alluded to so many different books throughout our our conversation and and so many different people. Um, I'm curious, you know, if you you were to recommend one book or a series of books that have profoundly influenced your life to our audience, what would they be?
1: Musashi by Eiji Yoshikawa. Really easy. Musashi, Yoshikawa, about the greatest swordsman in Japanese history, historical fiction. Brilliant! Everyone should read it. Like you're not allowed to be in my social circle if you don't get around to reading it pretty quickly. <laughs> I'm going like, to it on Amazon
0: read it. right after this.
1: Yeah, you got to read it. Well, otherwise we can't do another one of these. <laughs> um, no, it's 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 amazing. It's uh it's 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 so subtle and and, and, and wonderful. And and uh, you want to learn about quitting and toughness and harshness and and like what happens when you're like a little bit of a bad person? How your life goes all the way down when you're stubborn versus not stubborn and like getting in your own way versus not. I tell everyone give it hundred pages. Some people. Don't love how it opens, uh-huh. so give it like a hundred. Uh, I like how it opens, and, and some people love it. Um, this has an extremely high rate of becoming the favorite book of people I know, people that are creative and driven, um, because it's really about how to harness um, raw talent uh-huh. where you're really spinning your wheel and getting in your own way. Um, and there's, there's these two characters that it starts on a, on a battlefield. They were on the losing side of a battle, not ruining much. These two childhood friends, they were teenagers, they went to fight in a war, and they wake up on a battlefield, samurai era towards the end of the, the Japanese civil wars in the 1600s, uh, late 15s, 16, early 16s, 16, I think. Um, and they, they wake up from it and, and you know, they like go different routes on actualizing their town. You see how it plays out over their lifetimes. And it's like, wow, like the mental models and the character study and the like, like the little tiny mistake that you didn't even notice somebody was making, like really biting them hard, like 100 pages later. And it's like, yeah, that does happen in real life, doesn't it? Um, there's a lot of those. It's, it's incredible. It's, and it's, it's also It's There's like a ton of sword fighting, and it's like a really great adventure story, too. So it's not a, like a boring fight through a book. I, I can't recommend it highly enough. Musashi by Eiji
0: Yoshikawa. All right. We'll definitely add that to, uh, to our reading list for this month as well. Um, this has been mind-blowingly cool, as I expected it would be. Uh, so I have one last question, which I know I'm sure you've heard me ask. Um, what do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Somebody or something unmistakable.
1: I think you wanna never lose the spirit and the reason you got into it. Because there's a lot of details, there's a lot of technical points that sooner or later you need to master, right? But I think you gotta keep going back to that well, um, and, and 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 really try and want to do something special and whether that's business or, or art or whatever, I, I think everybody you know, has some kind of raison, you know, like some 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 really like the you know, like why you got into it in the first place, why you got so excited about it. And, and that can get lost and bogged down once you're having, you know, once you're actually having some success and you're working the mechanics. So I'm big on the systems and the mechanics and the habits and the discipline and all that and the craft. But then like why am I doing this? Like why am I on this podcast? Like why am i writing like why am i putting this thing up like what's the point and and that's what gives you the fuel to keep getting better and to do more of it and it's like why am i writing this thing for medium Mm -hmm. why am i writing a book because like things get hard and suck Like, like being human is is like there's like a hard and sucking component of being human in everything In everything, not not just everything worthwhile and like all the stuff that's not worthwhile too has a hard and sucking component. People just like, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, there's a hard and sucking component and, and, and and like a lot of worthwhile things do have that too. And and when you're like, Oh man, I don't really want to balance the accounting. You know, I got a story. Um, I think this is a true story, maybe it's apocryphal, but I think it's true, where I think it was President Lyndon B. Johnson went to NASA, and he saw a guy that was like the tidiest, fastest janitor he'd ever seen in America. This guy was just like cleaning, like precisely very focused in the moment, like almost like, a, like, a, 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 like an art form. And he says to him, uh, President Johnson, LBJ, says to this, this gentleman that's the this janitor, is like, excuse me, I just noticed you're like working as hard as I've ever seen anybody work on that. And he looks at him and he says, I'm putting a man on the moon. It's like, that's really cool. Like, that's really cool. So, like, when you need to do janitorial, right, when you need to sweep your own floor, when you need to sit down and do accounting, when you need to say, I got to get better at outlining, I need to produce on a schedule, I need to wake up earlier before work so I can do my creative work or whatever. Like, just like, why am I doing this? And, like, connecting with that. Not all the time. Some people, like, think too much and, like, don't take enough action but like once things are really moving um that's what will give you the juice to work a little bit harder to polish a little bit more to improve your craft a little bit more to put a little bit more time in to promote what you're doing a little bit more to get the word out to just keep leveling up your game to do a little bit more research to refine your pitch a little more to do another round of practice to just keep putting in those reps um and just just keep making things better and doing more of them which is 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 where really kind of special unmistakable things come from
0: Mm. wow well, uh I am really really glad that we got a chance to uh bring you back for round 2 because this has just been fantastic. Um I you know, uh, I can't thank you enough for coming back. This has been amazing.
1: It's a pleasure. This is you're you're one of the most fantastic interviewers I know and, and <laughs> I know how much, how hard you work. I know how hard you work behind the scenes. You're all casual and like <laughs> we're hanging out, and having a good time. Uh uh-uh, uh uh uh. I know I know the amount of work that's going on unmistakably behind the scenes, uh, and, and it's it's a joy. You're one of the best interviewers I know, and it's it's always a pleasure to be here. And I still I still get random emails and Twitter comments about the interview we did three years ago. Like like it's never a couple more more than a couple months passes before I hear from somebody that I don't know saying, "Dude, I checked this thing out by you were on, and it's just amazing." It's, Thanks, for great. I, I, I really great.
0: appreciate that. And I, I think that makes a fitting way for us to wrap up our conversation. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Next time on The Unmistakable Creative.
7: There are a couple of realities that I think I've learned over the years, having worked with lots of adolescents who are at career decision points. Uh, one of the things I've learned is that there's no one-size-fits-all solution. That's number one. Uh, number two, one of the most humbling experiences that I've had was actually working with the child of people who are experts in giving other people advice about how to parent their children. And I think that just illustrated to me how hard it is to parent and how hard it is to find the exact right thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I do think that a sincere conversation and an honest conversation uh, with a certain amount of of seriousness about the serious implications, but also lightheartedness about the fact that in this day and age, any career that you're choosing up front is not necessarily the career that you're going to be stuck with. And I, I really believe that it's more about connecting with who you are and then manifesting that in a series of jobs that may or may not fulfill you and to tinker along with that process until you find something that truly
2: resonates. Srini Pillay joins us to talk about the neuroscience of goals. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes.